everyone and welcome back to Sustainability Circle Season 2, Episode 4. I am your host, Shannon Kelly. This episode is being recorded at CJSF, SFU's on-campus radio station, which is located on the unceded land of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Today we will be learning about food and how it gets on our plates, and I have a wonderful guest from Embark uh, that is going to have me. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi Shannon, thanks for inviting me here. I always love to talk about food. Um, I'm a student and a volunteer with Embark Sustainability and I'm currently the Food Systems Change Coordinator. Amazing, and we are going to be talking about food systems today. Um, There's something that is integral to our lives and um, something that comes up a lot when we think about um, environmental, social and economic sustainability. Um, It's kind of like a really good place for them all to come together. Yeah, for sure. So in terms of sustainability, we often think of the environmental um, impact that we are having, the environmental problems that exist. Um, And we talk about things like not overusing resources, not relying on fossil fuels, um, reducing plastic use. So all super important things that are relevant to food systems as well. Um, But when we talk about food systems, we can also consider economic sustainability and social sustainability as well. So we have these three pillars of sustainability. Yeah, and um, economic sustainability is um, probably something you can guess from its title, much like social sustainability. Um, But it's thinking about whether an economy can continue at its current performance for a long time. Um, For us here in North America, it's something we've been thinking about since probably about 2008 um, when we had the last recession. Um, So economic sustainability is something that is really at a lot of people's... um, It's on a lot of people's minds right now, um, especially people who are wanting to start up businesses or people like us who are um, either in school or recently graduated. Um, We also have this idea of social sustainability, which is um, having a community that's able to function at a certain level of well-being um, for a really long time. And that's having access to good food, to health care healthcare, clean water, and shelter. Um, And these are really important for uh, food systems and really important things to think about um, when we're talking about food systems. But uh, there's a really big question. It's something that I was kind of always wondering about when I was looking into Embark uh, before I started, and it is, what is a food system? Yeah, so we talk a lot about um, food, but food systems itself, the concept of it is uh, very broadly, it's about the processes and the infrastructure that are involved in food production, food distribution, um, consumption, and disposal. So all of the processes that you can think of, everything from agriculture and growing to the transportation, um, how we package our food, how we consume our food, and then what happens to the waste. So food systems are a very very um, complex and, and big concept, but it really comes down to how we produce our food um, and how we manage that uh, production system. Yeah, so we have a, a different names that we kind of a, assign to our food systems um, because there isn't just one. Um, and the solution to our problem with uh, food systems might not be one that we already know. It might be a combination of them. 
Um, but some of the names that we already have for our food system, so we have our, our so-called air quotes conventional food system, um, which is something that a lot of us are going to be really familiar with. Um, it's when we go to the grocery store and we maybe pick up a box off a shelf or we go and pick up some bananas from another country off of the produce stand and uh, we go up and pay for them. But really, we we don't have any knowledge of of where that food came from exactly. We, we might know a country of origin, but, but we don't know anything past that. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to make with food systems as well, is that the way that we currently consume food, there tends to be this disconnect between the people producing food um, and the consumers uh, like ourselves. And so that leads to a lot of challenges, but one specifically is, um, is how food production um, or people involved in the food production process are treated. Because if we don't see where that food is coming from and we don't see how these people um, are treated, it's not something that's always given the attention that it deserves. Yeah, and um, treatment of laborers, so the people who are um, working in food production, um, can be anything from are they being paid a fair wage, um, maybe do they even have shelter, uh, or health-like, um, are they being taken care of if they have injuries or anything like that. Um, but another thing that comes along with um, that air quotes conventional food system is um, that we get access to cheaper and more diverse foods. So um, a lot of us when we go to the grocery store will see like a pineapple sitting on our produce shelf and we can see something like that all year round um, and that's something that we get with that really globalized system. But what we also get is a lot of processed food. Um, so it's food that's uh, pretty high in calories, it's pretty calorie dense, um, but it lacks a lot of the nutrients uh, that we could be getting from um, something that might be part of a more sustainable, a more socially sustainable food system. Yeah, and processed foods too, the shocking thing is that a lot of times these foods are more affordable. So um, if you have a... if you have a community that has a low uh, socioeconomic status, they may be relying quite frequently on processed foods rather than fresh produce, um, simply because of the fact that it's more available and more affordable, uh, which ultimately doesn't make sense because it's more processed and there's more um, resources that go into it. Um, but the way our system's set up, um, that's the reality of it sometimes. Yeah, and um, kind of the last thing that we can run into um, with this type of food system is um, something that I read uh, an article about, and it was actually about um, farm fishing. Um, and it was talking about how um, strict regulations maybe here in Canada or in the United States is making a lot of these producers move to different countries. Um, and that's uh, creating this issue with our economic uh, sustainability. So it might create um, unstable economies in other countries if you have producers that are constantly moving operations around um, between uh, different, different countries um, to maybe escape these strict regulations. Yeah, so food systems can be regulated very, very differently um, between countries. And mm -hmm. so some of the things that we hear about, like these big problems with beef production and fish farming and all of these um, different enterprises can really vary between countries. And if we don't know where our food's coming from, we don't truly know um, the processes that went into creating it. Yeah. 
Um, but there are also food systems that are not like our, I'll say it again, air quotes, <laughs> conventional food system. Um, and a lot of the names are really familiar to us. So we have um, an organic food system we could have. Um, so that's a, a food system that's kind of free of um, maybe chemical sprays um, or additives in the growing process of our foods. Um, and it's something that's really, really big. You'll usually see certifications on food that it is uh, certified organic. Um, and there's all sorts of different uh, bodies that do those certifications. One of the biggest ones is the uh, USADA in the United States. Um, we can also have a local food system. So if we've ever heard of the 100-mile diet, um, that is a diet that will be relying on a local food system. Um, and another one that we can think about is also a cooperative food system. So this is something that I think is pretty cool. So it's um, kind of thinking about if, if you are a food producer or you want to become a food producer, um, uh, kind of working with other people in your community on that food production. So it might be things like community gardens um, or anything like that. Yeah, so there's a lot of interest in making our food systems better for, for obvious reasons. Um, food systems contribute greatly to environmental degradation. Um, there's a lot of social inequalities in within food systems and a lack of access to food um, in certain communities. And so there's a lot of interest in improving them, but I think what's important to remember about all of these ideas is that there's no magic bullet solution. Um, and this really goes back to thinking about the idea of a food system um, because systems are these interrelated pieces and we can't really fix the system without considering the whole picture um, so it's important with all of these alternative uh, food systems as mm -hmm. you're talking about to really be mindful of how we're implementing these systems and how we can um, do it in such a way that it does maintain the economic environmental and social sustainability pil pillars that we talked about Awesome. So uh, we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we are, are going to do some thinking about what would make a sustainable food system or even just what is sustainable food. Food waste isn't great. Luckily, Embark collects the imperfect produce from Nestor's Market and distributes it for free to the SFU community. Visit the Food Rescue Volunteers and Snag an Apple every Thursday from 12.30 to 2.30 in Blueston Hall. We are going to be thinking about what is sustainable food. Um, and when we're thinking about what is sustainable food, we're going to be thinking about having that sustainable food system. Um, so we're going to be thinking about a system that has a low impact on our environment. Um, we're going to be thinking about how crops are grown, where crops are grown. We have crops that um, might deplete soil of nutrients and um, we're going to want to make sure that maybe what's being grown there afterwards can give something back to that location. We're also going to want to think about transportation of food from maybe where it's growing or where it's been processed to the place that it is being sold. Um, also thinking about the use of chemicals, of uh, sprays that might be used, and where are they going to end up after. 
but something else that I find really, really cool about um, food systems and uh, sustainable food systems is the aspect of that social sustainability that we mentioned earlier of um, us actually being able to strengthen a community and make it stronger and more sustainable um, by, by bringing food into it and talking about food. Yeah, for sure. So not all communities have equal access to good, nutritious food. Um, And this is certainly a problem uh, worldwide and and in Canada as well. And so one of the concepts that we think about with sustainable food and these systems um, is the concept of producing um, adequate access to to food supply. And so even within um, Canada here, we have many, many people, about 4 million Canadians are still facing food insecurity. So just meaning that they're not always able to uh, put food on the table. Um, and this places a tremendous burden on certain populations, um, as well as the healthcare system. And all of the health-related concerns that are related to not having this nutritious diet. And so, unfortunately, um, this burden of food insecurity is really unequally distributed across the country. For example, um, in northern Canada, um, 70% of homes in Nunavut are considered food insecure um, and have trouble putting food on the table at some point in the month. Um, So these numbers are really shocking, but they do highlight the need for making change in our food system um, so that it does function to provide um, food to our communities the way that it's supposed to. Yeah, and I think this is um, kind of really bringing in that social sustainability aspect and something that I really never expected um, when we started down this journey. was thinking about food security as as really being an aspect of sustainability and and something that I know a little bit more about, which is food deserts. Um, so that's not having access to fresh food or good food or nutritious food. Um, and one of the ones that I know about is um, Washington, D.C., which is the capital of the United States, um, is one of the largest food deserts um, that I know about. And um, it does primarily hit uh, low-income individuals. Um, and it also disproportionately affects certain ethnic groups as well. Yeah, and that really comes back to the access idea, right, of the system Mm -hmm. of of making sure that the food that is produced is distributed in an equitable way um, and is available to individuals uh, regardless of where they live. Yeah, but um, there are some things we can do because when we look at communities like this, um, we want to kind of empower them and um, provide for them, provide opportunity for them in a way that is sustainable. Um, and that works into our sustainable food systems. Um, So something that I really love uh, seeing online is a lot of these movements in urban farming. Um, So uh, using empty plots of land um, in neighborhoods to um, start producing food where people live. And it also gives community members that knowledge of how food production works um, and also might introduce them to new types of food. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point to make, too, is that um, these projects, especially these community-based projects, um, they can influence and build capacity in that community um, and improve the health of people living there. It's not to say that they're the one-stop solution um, mm -hmm. to these problems in the bigger picture of distribution, um, but as you said, I mean, they can be really essential for connecting people to their food and connecting them to the processes of producing food, um, which is a great education to have early on as a kid, especially. Yeah. Um, but maybe something else to think of. So maybe if we've gotten a community to the point where they have access to um, maybe even just a conventional grocery store um, that has all of the same things that we are really, really used to in our communities, um, we might want to think about how we can even make better choices once that food is produced and on a shelf and um, waiting for us to pick it up. Uh, so one of the things that I've uh, been seeing a lot of is, is people trying to move away from dairy products. Um, of course, cattle farming is something that is um, turning into, it seems like, uh, a controversial topic um, in environmentalism, in sustainability, um, just because of uh, the, the resource draw it has. So it takes up a lot of space. Um, in other countries, we're seeing forested lands being taken away um, for cattle grazing. And we also have that um, infamous methane production from our, our friendly cows. Um, so when we think about cow's milk, we have a, a pretty large carbon footprint associated with the production of that particular food. Um, but we can kind of maybe think about some other um, alternative milks that um, might be a little bit different. Yeah, for sure. So. <laughs> with alternative milks, it's again um, somewhat controversial, but some of the some of the ones that have been produced and have become quite popular um, for a variety of reasons. So whether that's dietary restriction or an interest in um, conserving the environment, people have started to show an interest in drinking soy milk or almond milk or oat milk. Um, and as we know, um, no system is perfect. Um, mm -hmm. But within these, there's some really interesting examples of how we've been very short-sighted about um, the production of food and really quickly jumped on these alternatives without considering the, the impact that they have on the environment. Yeah, so there... There, there is no question that something like cow's milk is definitely very taxing on the environment. Um, but we can look at soy milk, which um, I don't have data to back this up, but I would say it's probably one of the more more common milk alternatives. I think nut milks mm -hmm. are, are starting to become very popular now, but for a long time, I thought it was basically you either drank cow's milk or soy milk. Um, but with uh, soy milk, it's, it's produced from soybeans. And one of the unfortunate things is that in other countries, we're seeing that um, forested land is being torn down um, to create uh, farmland for soybeans. And soybeans are um, a crop that does take up a lot of land. And you also think about producing soybean oil as well. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing is soybean crops can erode our soil. So that's um, thinking back to uh, degrading, taking all the nutrients out of soil and even just kind of loosening it up so that um, any crops that come after it are, are going to have a pretty hard time growing there. Yeah. So soy for sure is this 
um, really interesting example and you can really get into the details of the environmental impact that it has and all these socioeconomic challenges mm -hmm. um, where it's produced um, and so it's a good example that draws our attention back to the idea of this food system and how we really mm -hmm. need to look at all the pieces um, and consider our actions in agriculture for sure. Um, Another example that you hear a lot about, and, and that's really interesting, is that almond milk, um, which has really gained a lot of popularity recently, um, is primarily, our almonds are primarily produced in California. And when you think about California, you might think about um, the drought that it's been in for the majority of the last 10 years. Um, but what you might not know is that almonds have a huge water dependence. And so the production of this crop has been a huge um, drain on the water supplies in California. Yeah, and one of the um, kind of crazy things about the way that the water system, so maybe stepping mm -hmm. outside of a food system for a second and thinking about a water system, um, the majority of the water in California is kind of in Northern California. Um, so to get it down to a lot of these uh, groves where they're growing the almonds, um, it it has a lot of emissions associated with it um, because it's not something that you can just kind of uh, set up a giant pipe for and, and, and funnel it down. It actually um, kind of has to be uh, transported down to where all of these almonds are trying to grow. Um, so a lot of these options don't really seem that great, um, but we can think about something that is, um, I think, now rising in popularity. Um, we're seeing some coffee shops who are, are giving it a go um, in their drink. Uh, so oats are something that are, are, are pretty easy to produce. Um, they take about a sixth of the water to grow as almonds. And um, if you uh, kind of look into the companies producing these oat milks, you can try and find a company that will actually use the byproduct of the production of oat milk um, as animal feed. And a lot of those companies are going to be pretty outspoken about it. They want people to look positively upon them. Um, and that's kind of, of something you can do to um, better that food system, right? Mm -hmm. Because now you're not only... Um, providing something for you, but you're making sure that, that you're not getting that waste associated with the production of something that we usually get. Yeah, and that brings up a, a really important point, actually. Um, one of the challenges in the food system currently um, and in Canada particularly, is that there's a huge amount of food waste. And this really happens at all levels. And so when we're talking about something like production, there's a huge amount of waste that occurs there. Um, also in distribution. So in grocery stores, when food doesn't look too pretty or too perfect, um, it will often get thrown out because people won't buy it and grocery stores won't sell it. Um, so this really happens at all levels. And additionally, food waste is huge. Um, in our own homes. And so when we don't store food properly um, or when we overpurchase or overprepare food, there's a huge amount of food um, that is wasted in our own homes. And I believe the stats for food waste in Canada is something like 30% throughout the whole system. So oh, wow. just this really shocking number. And it goes back to our relationship with food ultimately um, and how we, how we use food and how um, how we take care of it and not waste it. Yeah, and I remember learning about food waste was something that I was super shocked about because um, 
I think for a long time I was super naive about the way that our food looks at the grocery store. Um, that, you know, every banana looks exactly the same, every apple looks exactly the same. Um, but it is the reality that um, a lot of these foods go through sorting processes before they even get to the grocery store. So this is factoring into our food system. It is a part mm -hmm. of that system um, that, you know, undesirable or foods that look a little wonky. They might be a lot bigger than the other um, uh, items of produce in the uh, in the stock or they might be a lot smaller or they might have bruises or um, weird little um, abnormalities on on the surface and they just get thrown out yeah so there's a lot of regulations for sure within um, grocery stores and within agriculture about how food should look and unfortunately this isn't really based on the nutritional content or the value of this food um, but really just the appearance of it and um, how it can be sold and marketed in grocery stores Mm -hmm. I think another thing that really interests me in food waste is um, thinking about uh, best before dates. Um, so as a lot of people are realizing now, best before dates really, they, they don't mean much except that that items are at their peak freshness before the date on their label. So things that have best before dates are pretty much anything that we get at grocery stores that are processed. Um, milk has a best before date on it. Our eggs have best before dates on them. Um, even things like pasta has a best before date on it. Things that we think of as storing in the cupboard for really, really long periods of time. And um, a lot of grocery stores you're going to see will um, throw stock out if it goes past its best before date. And I remember watching videos on YouTube of people who were living um, those they, they would do it for like a week where they were like we're not going to buy any food um, and they would go dumpster diving and and you can find a lot of that food that um, might have gone past its best before date and can't be sold on a grocery store shelf anymore. Yeah and I think well, that really just highlights all the barriers and, and challenges there are in the food system right now. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that this is happening really shows that there are some barriers to the food system functioning optimally. Um, because ideally, none of that food um, would be thrown out and grocery stores wouldn't be regulated and wouldn't um, need to, to throw that out. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately... Unfortunately, we don't currently have the system set up um, to really minimize waste um, in our food systems. Yeah, so um, it really sounds like when we are trying to create that, that food system, it really isn't one that we know of currently existing. Um, and we can also think about maybe some cultural differences. Um, a food system here in Vancouver might not look the same as a food system in Toronto. Um, and it's most definitely not going to look the same as a sustainable food system up north where they have um, uh, very reduced access to foods and, in fact, much more expensive foods. Yeah, so that's a really important point to make, too, is that when we're talking about a system, it's not a one-fit-all model. Um, there's a huge variety of systems that can be implemented in um, communities, so on a local level and on international levels, um, to improve sustainability. But there's no one solution that we can um, force to work for everybody, and, and um, we should really be considering all the variables when designing food systems. Twilight of the day 
best friend, she lives up the road. Haven't talked to her in weeks. All the time, don't blame me. I am so sorry. I've been swept up in my own concerns. I'm the worldly matters. They just don't matter at all. No, not at all. talking about some pretty heavy stuff this episode um so i think maybe um for our last little bit uh we'll keep things uh, a little bit more upbeat um we'll talk a little bit about something kind of funny um in food and in our food options now and um then we'll talk a little bit about uh what can happen in our empowered communities so um when we think about sustainable diets, a lot of people are thinking about going meat-free. Um, so that can be becoming vegetarian, becoming vegan, um, and cutting out all um, meat from our diets. Yeah, and some of those um, some of those diets include the incorporation of these meat alternatives um, that we hear a lot about because um, meat production, as we know, is very resource intensive in terms of the land and the water use. Um, and so there's a lot of interest in finding other sources of protein um, and exploring those to provide um, protein to, to everybody that would normally be eating meat. Yeah, and a lot of people are going the direction of eating nuts. Um, a lot of people are eating seeds. Um, but there's also uh, kind of another protein source that's gaining a lot of, of popularity, um, at least here in North America, because other places in the world, um, it's already a very, very popular source of protein. Um, so we're talking about insects. So a lot of people are getting into um kind of incorporating insects into their diets and it's made very easy with um, large companies like President's Choice releasing things like cricket powder that you can um, just add right into your smoothies in the morning um, and when we're thinking about um, kind of do we say raising yeah raising. I guess you're raising you're raising bugs <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, when you're raising bugs you're you're obviously having um, uh, you're, you don't need the land that you need for something like cattle. Um, you're not looking at um, kind of the uh, effect on the environment that you're going to get with a lot of our other meats. Yeah, so surprisingly, the, the resource use uh, for bug production, for insect production, is much lower than it would be for a comparable weight um, so say a kilogram of beef um, and so it's gained a lot of attention um, but an interesting point to make about it is that this really comes down to the choices of individuals and, and what they're willing to um, to incorporate into their own lifestyles and while these changes can have really positive impacts um, there's 
a bigger picture to consider. And so when we're thinking about building a sustainable food system, um, it's not just about these individual level choices. It's really about creating a society and creating these uh, systemic changes to um, to contribute to a more sustainable food system rather than relying and placing the burden on the consumer um, to make these changes in their own lives. Yeah, and I think it's it's kind of a, a running theme um, in this podcast and also in sustainability where um, we have a lot of changes coming from um, empowered communities. Um, so once we have that empowerment, uh, once we have that education, we are able to go to places like our, our government officials and we're able to talk to businesses about how they can change what they're doing um, to become more sustainable and to contribute to these more sustainable systems. Yeah, and I think a really um, in- inspiring example of that is that in the last couple years, um, a variety of both individuals and organizations have worked together to request that the Canadian government creates this national uh, food policy. Um, and so we've never had a food policy before, or at least not a, nas- a national one. And the idea is that because food systems are so massive and they have all these disconnected pieces, um, having a food policy that really considers all of these pieces and regulates them as well um, could be very beneficial to the future of the Canadian food system. Excellent and definitely something that's really amazing um, because like you said our food systems are massive and a lot of us um, can't even comprehend all of the the different parts that go into them and you know even we haven't even scratched the surface with all of the things we've talked about today Um, but we did get a really really good idea of how that social sustainability and that economic sustainability um, can factor into um, the more common environmental sustainability Um, So thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, A new episode of Sustainability Circle is out every week, so make sure to subscribe so that they download automatically. This is a production of Embark Sustainability, which can be found on Facebook and also Twitter and Instagram at Embark Sustain. If you have any questions or comments on this episode, you can email them to podcast at embarksustainability.org. A huge thank you to our guest, Samara. Um, thank you so yeah, much for being thank here. You for, thank you for having me here and talking about food. <laughs> oh, I will, I will always have a good conversation about food. Um, I am Shannon Kelly. This is Sustainability Circle, and I will talk to you all next week. <laughs>